if we forgive debt balances for borrowers today, we still have the exact same problems that led student loan balances to grow from around 200 billion in 2000 to 1.6 trillion today. And it's all premised on this idea that this is a good investment. We're told, don't worry, take on the debt and it will pay off in the long run. And I think what we have seen for millions and millions of American families is that that is just not true. We're talking about student debt. It's a huge crisis. The share of students that are behind on their payments is as big as the share of homeowners that were in default at the peak of the housing crisis. On this episode of The Pie, what's the best way to help students who are struggling under a huge debt burden? Is there a better way to finance college? This is The Pie. Economists are always talking about the pie, how it grows and shrinks, how it slice, who gets the biggest share. In this show, we'll talk about the most pressing matters of the day. And in this episode, we're going to look at how to tackle the student debt crisis. I'm Tess Viglund. And I'm Eduardo Porter. We've been invited to have this series of conversations with University of Chicago scholars and other experts. The Pie is a production of the University of Chicago's Becker Friedman Institute and WBEZ Chicago. I talked with Constantine Yanellis, Assistant Professor of Finance at Chicago Booth, and Seth Frotman, founder of the Student Borrower Protection Center and former student loan ombudsman for the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. I asked Seth to give me a sense of how big the student loan crisis really is. We're now up to $1.7 trillion of student loan debt. That means there's more student loans than there are car loans in America, there's more student loans than there's credit card debt. It's around one in every six consumers has a student loan. It represents, you know, around 45 million Americans get a student loan bill each and every month. The fastest growing segment of student loan borrowers are actually older Americans. And I think with the sheer amount of balances you also see how this debt is just impacting individual families and their communities. Before the pandemic hit, um, there was more than 9 million student loan borrowers in default, another few million on the way. And when you do the math, you're talking about 20% of the portfolio that's either in default or behind. You know, that rivals what we saw in the mortgage crisis in terms of distress in the portfolio just, you know, a few years back during the Great Recession. When we talk about who's struggling, though, like we have to look beyond just the people who are behind. We see the impact that student debt is having across people's financial lives. Student loan borrowers are less likely to have money in savings. They're less likely to put money into their 401k. They're less likely to start a small business. They have lower credit profiles. Um, you see how student loan borrowers, even beyond just finances, you know, it is impacting labor market outcomes, career choice, educational decisions. And that doesn't do anything to even touch on the larger systemic impact that student debt is having on income inequality and racial inequality. Now in the new administration, a bunch of policy ideas are being thrown around, including uh, forgiving all college debt or uh, just the first $10,000 worth of it. So Constantine, uh, what do you think of these ideas? So one thing that I think is often missed in the policy debate is that we already have a 
very progressive and large um, forgiveness program, and that's called income-driven repayment. So the way that these programs work is that borrowers pay a portion of their income, depending on the plan, 10 or 15% of their income, above 150% of the poverty line. And then, again, depending on the plan, after 20 or 25 uh, years, remaining balances are, are forgiven. So there are existing forgiveness programs. Now, there are problems with those uh, programs, namely, many borrowers who uh, are eligible to sign up don't sign up. And additionally, because of bureaucratic hurdles, many borrowers end up getting kicked off of those plans. I mean, there are problems with the current IDR system, but in my view, those those are fixable. The United Kingdom and uh, Australia run universal income-driven repayment systems with great success. Uh, Now, some of these other more universal policy options, one concern uh, with those is that the majority of the benefits uh, are going to accrue to very high-income borrowers. So uh, if we think of individuals who went to college versus those who didn't go to college, people who went to college tend to earn more. Uh, Moreover, uh, individuals who spent more on their college education, I'm thinking of MDs, JDs, uh, MBAs, tend to earn more than people who earned uh, just a bachelor's or an associate's um, uh, degree. So there's a uh, very strong positive correlation between student loan debt and uh, earnings. So one concern with universal loan forgiveness is that the majority of the benefits will end up going to high-earning individuals. So I think any policy responses uh, need to focus on borrower heterogeneity uh, and focusing on the fact that a lot of borrowers are doing just great and, in fact, earning substantial sums of uh, money whereas others are massively um, uh, struggling. And I mean, some of these uh, proposals like ten dollars or $50,000 uh, loan forgiveness won't do enough for borrowers with very high balances and very low income. So I think we need to think hard about who gains and who loses from different uh, policies. And if the government is spending money does the government want to target that money towards lower income individuals? Seth? But I think one of the things that I've just like learned over the decade from like talking to individual borrowers is that they're like petrified that they are just going to be left behind or sacrificed in the name of fixing the policy going forward, right? People talk about helping student loan borrowers, and quite often the conversation just inevitably moves to the idea of like, well, we need to make college cheaper for the next guy, for the next family, for the next student. And in the background, you have, you know, 40 million people who say, what about us? So I am all in on the idea of there needs to be large systemic changes to the entire higher education finance system. But I think what we can tolerate is the idea that we kind of got it wrong for the last couple years or decades, and like we could just do better the next time because there are people now who desperately, desperately need help. Constantine? Now, the analogy that I like to use 
is if you have a frog in a pot of water that is slowly boiling. I mean, all you're talking about doing is taking the frog and putting it in slightly cooler water that's still uh, boiling. So if we forgive debt balances for borrowers today, we still have the exact same problems that led student loan balances to grow from around 200 billion in 2000 to 1.6 trillion today. We'll still have predatory colleges targeting many of these borrowers who are struggling. So all that this policy is going to, to do is wipe away debt for a number of borrowers, most of them high income people, without targeting the underlying causes for the rise in debt and for the fact that many borrowers are struggling. So I think we need to focus more on the root causes of this problem. After the break, how do we think about equity? And how do we ensure that policy doesn't disproportionately help high-income people? And what would it look like to address the incentives at the crux of this problem? I owe $118,000 in student loans. I'm 23 years old, and I currently owe $90,000 in student loans. That's a car note. That's a home mortgage. That's that's child care. I have been paying for 10 years. Last year, I paid 6,000 lump sum. That took it down to 76,000. The grand total is I have paid $120,000 and I still owe 76. I think about it pretty much any time I spend money. I, I have a lot of anxiety around spending money because every time I do, I know that I have this like sort of insurmountable debt that I have to pay back. There are a lot of numbers thrown around in this debate, but the problem is very real. Recent graduates who borrowed to go to college owe roughly $30,000 on average, some a whole lot more. What can and should our government do to get us out of this crisis? Constantine, that you did the exercise of kind of like comparing what a, you know, an income contingent repayment plan would do compared to a write down of, say, $10,000, which I understand is what President Biden is, is, is most likely to do. And if, so if you could kind of like run us maybe through that comparison uh, of, of, you know, of the distributional impact and the, you know, the ultimate, I guess, societal impact of, of these two ideas. One concern with various universal or capped um, forgiveness options is that um, most of the benefits would accrue to to higher income borrowers. So from our calculations, using uh, the Federal Reserve Board Survey of Consumer uh, Finances, we find that under a policy uh, for giving uh, all student loan uh, balances, the top 20% of the income distribution would uh, get about uh, 30% of the total dollars of forgiveness, whereas uh, the bottom two uh, deciles, the bottom 20% of the income distribution would only get about 5% of uh, total balance forgiveness. And actually, with 
an income-driven repayment plan, what the federal government can do is spend less money overall and give more money to the bottom 30% of the income distribution. How can they, how can they do that? Well, it's simply because under an income-driven repayment plan, these benefits don't go to high earners. I mean, so if the goal is to provide uh, more money to lower-income individuals, um, either enrolling more people in income-driven repayment plans or making income-driven repayment plans more generous, I mean, there's no reason that plans can't be made more generous um, uh, to borrowers are a way to provide more relief to low-income borrowers at a lower overall cost. This does raise for me the kind of like the fundamental question where we seem to understand education as an investment that will provide a return. And as other investments, you know, financing it with debt is not an insane idea. It's all sorts of investments that are financed with debt. And under the assumption that this that this investment will ultimately yield returns that are more than sufficient to pay the debt back. But that that whole idea seems to be uh, challenged by by this student loan crisis. So is there something wrong with that initial idea? Why isn't this working? I think it's perfectly acceptable to view investing in human capital and investing in a college education as as an investment. And why there are problems with our current uh, system doesn't have to do with viewing education as an investment. I mean, the whole justification, in my view, for having any government intervention in in education, well, there are two um, justifications. One is externalities, um, meaning that perhaps we're all better off having a more educated populace. You know, if you have uh, voters who know what's going on and are not believing wild conspiracy theories or don't believe in uh, science, it's obviously a huge problem for society. So that's a justification for having grants or direct spending on college. Now, the argument for loans has to do with viewing college as an investment. You could have a really brilliant uh, kid who is really talented, but their family doesn't have the money to, um, to send them to college. So the government can have uh, a role stepping in and uh, alleviating those credit constraints and making sure that that kid can go to college and make that investment and earn a big return. You know, that's good for uh, the students. That's good for taxpayers because uh, in an ideal world, they end up repaying the loan. They earn more money. They end up paying more in uh, taxes. It's a win-win for everybody. Uh, You know, as we say, Pareto improvement, as we say in, in economics. Now, where is the system broken. So I would argue that incentives today are not aligned between students, the government, and schools. And this is a function of poor design of federal lending programs. So the way that the program, that the system is uh, set up is that students uh, borrow essentially from the, from the government, and then they use that money to pay tuition to a school. So, you know, many, many schools have nonprofit maximizing objectives, uh, but if um, the school's only objective is to turn a profit, 
you know, they can take that tuition money from the student. And then if that student doesn't get a good job uh, and they end up uh, defaulting on the loan, that's the government's problem. That's the taxpayer's uh, problem. So right now, there's a misalignment of incentives between uh, the student and uh, the schools if we want to have a successful uh, system so that young people can make these really high in return investments in college. I mean, these are, these are life-changing investments. We need to focus on finding uh, ways to align the incentives between the school's and the students. And I mean, there are a couple of different ways uh, to, to do that. I mean, we could punish schools that have bad outcomes. Um, one thing that's suggested has been income share agreements, whereas students uh, pay, it's kind of like a tax, pay, students pay a portion of their income for a certain number of years uh, to the school. I think uh, a lot more research needs to be done and um, ideally experimentation in terms of figuring out what is the best way to align these incentives. But, but in my view, that's the crux of this problem. So, so Seth, would, would you take this on? And, and let me just yep. to put another potato in your lap here. I'm wondering, <laughs> would you, I mean, would you then advocate for like just universal public funding of higher education? Is, is, is what was your thinking about this take you there? I think like when you start thinking about what the student debt system has become, it is really premised on this idea that student debt is good debt. Like I cannot tell you how many times that I have heard that in my career. And it's all premised on this idea that this is a good investment. For as long as any of us can remember, um, we're told, don't worry, take on the debt and it will pay off in the long run. And I think what we have seen for millions and millions of American families is that that is just not true that this is the debt that has ruined their lives, that has dragged down generations of their family, um, that has left them worse off than they were before. I think that a lot of what we need to do on, you know, I'm a consumer protection lawyer, right? But I think when you're thinking about higher ed economics, when you're thinking about people uh, who are really invested in higher education finance and thinking through the funding mechanisms, really need to reevaluate this idea that you could have a strong democracy, you could have a well-functioning civil society, uh, and it is premised on the idea that consumer debt will be the, the most significant access to higher ed in America. And I think that is like really hard work and discussions that we don't have, but that's like what millions of American families uh, are thinking about. You know, sometimes I and people like me have gotten criticism because, you know, we're told we make people shy away from going to college. And I think our response is always, trust me, we're not the ones doing that, right? Like people are looking now at the significant risk that going to higher ed means because they know that with one wrong move, with one sickness in their family, with one lost job, you know, the $35,000 to, you know, get a, get a degree means that, you know, a single missed paycheck, a broken down car means that they're going to be behind for the rest of their lives. And, you know, that's like the system that we have currently built. And I don't know if that gets you to a place of, you know, universal, you know, free college, but the, the, there is a skepticism of the higher education system in America because of the decisions made across political parties at the federal and state government, which has put aside really tough decisions about college funding because they 
fell back on the easy and shorthand way that somehow student debt could suffice for actual access and public investment. And I think we're really starting to come to a loggerhead at those decisions and millions and millions of American families are caught in the crosshairs. The Pie is a production of WBEZ Chicago and the Becker Friedman Institute for Economics at the University of Chicago. This episode was produced by Dana Bialik. We are produced and mixed by Story Mechanics. Our theme and all original music in this series is by Story Mechanics. Our executive producer is Ellen Horn. I'm Eduardo Porter. And I'm Tess Vigland. <laughs>